Heavenly Father, thank you uh, so much for um, giving us salvation, such a great salvation. And Lord, we had nothing to do with it. All we had to do was just acknowledge what you said, to repent and believe, to change our ways and to realize that uh, we couldn't do anything of ourselves. Is that uh, the reason why we even have such a great salvation is because before the foundations of the world, you knew that we would need redemption, that we would need reconciliation. And the only way that that could be accomplished is by you taking on flesh, our flesh, and realizing what it was all about, taking our sin upon you. For while we were yet sinners, your word says that Christ died for us. And Lord, you gave us um, a new life. For those of us who would believe on you, you made us born again by your Spirit. Again, not of works, lest any of us should boast. We're saved by grace. Hallelujah. Lord, we thank you so much for this special grace you've given to us. And as we move from grace to grace, and Lord, we fall down and uh, you pick us up and you help us, Lord. Lord, thank you for your word to us that we have it, that we can read it anytime. And now we have your Holy Spirit who brings these words to memory for us and uh, quickens us even in our own spirit. Guides us in the direction and the way we should go. So Lord, as we open up your scriptures to us today, help us one more time to remember that this is your truth and you've set us free from the bondage of sin and slavery to the world. And Lord, you've given us hope where there was no hope. Lord, open our eyes even more so, Lord, for those of us who are uh, either backslidden or walking contrary to you or confused or whatever, oh God, you know each and every one of our own particular states in life. Even those of us who are disobedient or complacent, oh God. And Father, for those who uh, don't know you in a personal way, I trust that this word today will speak to them clearly because your word is sharper than any two-edged sword and goes directly to where you would have it to go, Lord. So, Father, speak for me today. Help me to um, be real clear as your Holy Spirit gives me utterance. In Jesus' name I ask. Amen. All right, if you'd open up your New Testament to the Epistle to the Colossians, chapter 1. The Epistle to the Colossians, chapter 1. And I recommend to you all that you go to Justin's class every Sunday morning. I, I was fortunate as well with my wife to sit in that class. And um, you know what? He trains. <laughs> uh, Justin is full of all sorts of good stuff <laughs> and information. Matter of fact, I threw him a curveball today and he hit it. Uh, but I did that on purpose because I knew that he would be able to um, answer it clearly and direct us in the way we should go. Um, Go there. I mean that. Um, I, uh, I would encourage you to do that because when you're in the world, people want to know, well, what do you know? Why are you a Christian? Okay? Justin will help you. He will give you the kinds of understanding, and especially when it comes to the New Testament. We talked about it real briefly, but when people saw the Da Vinci Code, or they read the book and all, they said, oh yeah, there's the Gospel of Thomas and the Gospel of Ju uh, Judas. Well, the Gospel of Philip, those are those kinds of Gospels, you know, where it talks about Jesus and Mary Magdalene. Well, you know what? That's not the Word of God. <laughs> and Justin made it real clear that this is the reason why it's not. It's not the part of the canon of Scripture. It's not part of the 27 books in the New Testament. 
Well, what does comprise the 27 books in the New Testament? Go to his class. <laughs> and you can learn why and always be able to give an answer. You know, the Apostle Peter said, Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be able to give a defense for the hope that lies within you with meekness and respect. You don't blast people away. They just don't know. <laughs> so you help them and you tell them. The reason why I'm telling you this is because this is the truth. And the truth will make you free. That's what you want to share with people. With meekness and respect. For we were right where they were. How do we know? Do we know whether the Gospel of Thomas was one of the Gospels? Again, Justin will tell you. <laughs> Go to his class. Come out an hour earlier. What's the big deal? Hey, they were there with a the baby and all. All right, enough out of me. Let's hear from God. <laughs> the epistle of Paul, the apostle to the Colossians, chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel which has come to you as it has also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. As you also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. Verse 9. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. Verse 13. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed unto us into the kingdom of the Son of His love in whom we have redemption through His blood the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Now turn with me just to chapter 4 in this letter of Colossians, and look at verses 12 
to the end. Colossians 4. Paul ends his letter to the church there and says this, Epaphras, who was one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has great zeal for you, and those who are in Laodicea and those in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and Nymphus and the church that is in his house. Verse 16. Now, when this epistle is read among you, see that it is read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, Take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. This salutation by my own hand, Paul, remember my chains. Grace be with you. Amen. Amen. Paul, the apostle, was in Rome. He was in prison. This is his first imprisonment. He wrote four letters from there. Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, and the letter to Philemon. In prison, yet concerned for those who were believers in those churches that were established. As a matter of fact, in Colossae, if you read chapter 2 to his letter, he says, listen, you never even met me face to face. You don't even know who I am in that regard, but you know me by the Spirit. <laughs> and he was writing to them about Epaphras, who happened to be the local pastor of that church, who labored for them. Paul the Apostle wrote the letter approximately between 60 and 63 A.D. They think maybe 62 A.D. That's when his, he was first imprisoned. And he wrote this to the believers and to the faithful, those who are brothers in Christ at Colossae. Yet, this was written for us. <laughs> because we have it years later in a book called the Bible, and it's for our admonition. And the scripture says that for whatsoever things were written before time were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. So, this was given to us for a few different reasons. One, the reason why Paul wrote this letter was to combat heresy, false teachings, false doctrine, wrong teachings. As a matter of fact, Paul wrote 13 of these letters <laughs> that are contained in the New Testament. Some people think he wrote Hebrews, but I wasn't there, so I can't say that. Justin will tell you when you go to his class. <laughs> well, he at least wrote 13 of them. And all of them, with the exception of possibly Philippians and Philemon, every single one he talked about being concerned with false teachers. Everyone. Hey, that was the beginning of the church. <laughs> and he was talking about it then. Can you imagine now? How much even more so that we should be talking about or standing firm against false teachings? Listen, Oprah Winfrey is on every single week with people like Marianne Williamson espousing the Course in Miracles or Eckhart Tolle and his New Age spirituality. Oprah Winfrey 
When she endorses a book, they immediately go on the bestseller list of the New York Times. Oprah Winfrey is a false teacher. <laughs> she's a false prophet or whatever you want to call her. She's not true. And yet, how many of you watch her? Sit there and say, oh, isn't she wonderful? She gives gifts to the audience. Well, of course she does. She has millions of dollars. But you know what? She espouses untruths. And she even deceives believers and Christians who think she's a Christian. So we have to be cautious as well with people like that who have such an unbelievable platform. She's now on Sirius uh, Satellite Radio as well. Talking about all these folks who have written these books. But mostly every New Testament letter, and not just Paul himself, but you have others like Peter and Jude and John, the apostle. What did he say? He said so much about false teaching. He even talked about the Antichrist. He said the spirit of Antichrist existed at that point in time. So, all of these things were written. They, they urged the brethren. In Romans, Paul writes, Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned. And avoid them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by smooth words and flattering speech, deceive the hearts of the simple. He also wrote in Corinthians, and he wrote two letters to them. Actually, they think he wrote four letters, but two are in the canon of Scripture. Two may have been misplaced or lost or whatever. But in the second one, he wrote this. But I fear lest how somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit, which you have not received, or a different gospel, which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. He also continued on in 2 Corinthians 11, where he talked about these super apostles, all these false apostles. He said, for such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. Listen, I can go on and on for every single epistle. In Galatians, he said, I marvel that you're turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace to a different gospel. He said, even if an angel comes to you, <laughs> don't listen to him. That's what gets me the founding of the Mormon church, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, as they're called. According to them, an angel, Angel Moroni, gave him this information. Well, the scripture says, even if an angel comes to you, immediately they should say, hey, wait a minute, an angel told him that? Wrong. <laughs> Different gospel. And you should say the same thing when you meet a Mormon. Wrong. The angel Moroni, who do you believe? Do you believe the scriptures? Or even if an angel came to you and preached a different gospel? Listen, it's a different gospel. And it's a different Jesus. Remember what he talked to Timothy about, the young pastor. He says, charge them or command them that they teach no other doctrine. He also said that 
The Spirit expressly says that in the latter days some will depart from the faith. Why? Because there's deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons that are being taught. Listen, there's plenty of people around. A lot of them are on TV. And a lot of them are folks that are in our midst. Some of them are in our church. And Paul gave warnings. Matter of fact, he took the, he was in Ephesus for three years and he took those elders aside uh, to an island of Miletus. And he said, listen, he says, I was amongst you three years. He says, I told you the truth. He says, and now I tell you, he says, from within your midst, savage wolves will come up to try to devour the flock. Shepherd the church of God. Shepherd the church. Why did he say that? Because at that point in time, savage wolves would come in. He wrote that, again, I said he wrote Ephesus, he wrote Colossians, he wrote Philippians and Philemon, right? So when he writes to the church at Ephesus to talk to them about their, what their role is in the year 62 AD, 92 AD, 30 years later, we see Jesus talking to John the Apostle in the book of Revelation, and he says, talk to my church at Ephesus and tell them that they left their first love. Only 30 years. How long have you been walking with Christ? What happens in 30 years? I know what's happened in 30 years. In many cases, we could become complacent. We could fall away. We can get so caught up in the things of this world. That's why we need the Word of God to encourage us, and we need each other. We need the brethren to encourage one another so that we would see the hope. There are so many other things in, um, in the epistles that I could talk about relative to heresy, but the portion that I read today was Paul's highlighting and actually putting in the forefront the preeminence of Jesus Christ. Because ultimately, that's what it's all about. You will hear people say, well, you're so narrow-minded in that you're saying there's only one way to God. There's only one way to heaven. Well, Jesus said He is the only way. He certainly is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through Him. Okay? He is the truth. He is the way. And there is no other. There's no one that you can't deviate from that. People say, well, what about the Buddhists? And what about those that are serving this particular God, so to speak? Well, those are doctrines of demons, those are religions, those are idols, those are all man-made people. Muhammad, Allah is not God the Father. Okay? And we need to share those things. You speak the truth and love to other people. People will reject you as a result of that. Because they rejected him first, they rejected Jesus, and he said the same thing would happen to us. But we're not to shrink back, we need courage. Okay? We saw the saints in the early church in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, where they said, hey listen, we no longer want you preaching in that name. And what do they say? Hey, we need to listen to God instead of, instead of man. <laughs> And then what did they do? They threatened Peter and John, threw them in prison, angels let them out. Where were they? They went to go get them. They were preaching in the, in the courts again. <laughs> Didn't we tell you not to preach in Jesus' name? Amen. What, did, what did Gamaliel say? He said, you can't stop those guys if this is of God. Remember those others who were stopped? Well, they weren't of God. In essence, that's what he said. 
But if it's God, you're not going to be able to stop it. And you know what? They went back to the early church and they reported it back to all the people who were Christians there. And you know what they did? They immediately went before God and they said, Oh Lord, listen to their threats, but give us boldness to speak your word. They didn't shrink back. They didn't say, Oh my, (laughs) they're going to get us. They're going to lock the doors. Bobby, I'm glad you closed those two doors because I never knew who was going to come out here after this. <laughs> I never know what I'm going to say and all of a sudden. But you don't know what you're going to say because you know what? You shouldn't be concerned about what you're going to say because the Holy Spirit will give you utterance at the time when you need to say it. And you know what? People will contradict. People will say that you're a weird or a fanatic or whatever you are. And you know what? That's a little bit hard to take. Because we want people to like us. But you know what? Don't shrink back. Okay? The key issue, first and foremost, is who are you representing? You're an ambassador. All right? You're supposed to plead with people, implore them, be reconciled to God. (laughs) Okay? That's the key to all of this. The reason why Paul is writing this letter is because, and if you go through it all, these people stress philosophy. He says, don't be carried away through these philosophies or these vain conceits or these deceits. They stressed enlightenment. They stressed astrology. Look to the stars. Look to the heavens. Look to the angels. You can read the first book, the first chapter in Hebrews, actually, where it says, God, who in sundry times and in divers matters spoke to the forefathers through the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son who is the appointed heir to all things. And then he proceeded to talk to them about Jesus being greater than the angels. (laughs) And that the angels were ministering spirits. Yet you have people who, you'll see the crystals hanging from the rearview mirror, and they're just worshipping angels. When in fact the angels were created to worship God. Now there was an angel, of course, who was filled up in his pride. And he said, I want to be like the Most High God. And that angel, Lucifer, ended up, what happened to him? Okay, cast out, absolutely. Sent out. And he even deceived a third of the heavenly host, those that worshipped God, because he wanted worship for himself. So pride leads anyone, especially if it led an angel who was the worship leader in heaven, to become the all-time deceiver and accuser of the brethren. Think how possible it is for us, who are human beings. And that's what he does. He's deceived all. He's deceived all of those who are musicians because he was a musician himself. He was the embodiment. The scripture says that even his own body or his created being, he didn't really have a body because he was a spirit, but his tablets and pipes and the way he was formed was he was the epitome of music. So that's why he led this heavenly host in praise and worship. We sang holy, holy, holy. That's what we should be singing. Not what Black Sabbath and Ozzy at his Ozfest and all those others, but those people have been perverted in their music, and that's what Satan has done. Walk through the mall, hear a song that you haven't heard in ten years. Do you remember the lyrics? Absolutely, that's the power of music. Satan knows that. He's a deceptive one. He's the accuser. He's the one who wanted to bruise the head. But you know what? The head bruised him and crushed him. And Jesus has final victory over the enemy. And by the way, there's still two-thirds of the angels that are for us. (laughs) But you know what? 
these false teachers actually attack the supremacy of Jesus Christ. The heresies attack Jesus Christ. And if there's anything that you need to hear today in this is that Jesus Christ is preeminent. All right? He is the firstborn over all creation. He created the universe. (laughs) He was before this, before all of this. As a matter of fact, he wasn't created. He's the creator. Now, there is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We believe in the Trinity. Three persons, different and distinct, yet one God. Okay? Jesus himself took on flesh, the incarnation. He dwelt among us, John said, and we beheld his glory, (laughs) full of grace and truth. Jesus Christ is Jesus, Yeshua, Joshua, Christ, Christos, the Anointed One, or Messiah, or Hamashiach. As they say in Hebrew, he's the Messiah. Jesus, the anointed one. He is Messiah. God would never take human flesh upon himself. Who said that? Well, the teachers then. They said all matter is evil. How could God become a man? Well, that's what he did. (laughs) Matter of fact, he was born through a virgin. All right? But it was God himself, the Holy Spirit, came upon Mary. Mary said to the angel, how shall this be? How am I going to be pregnant with child? I never had marital relations with Joseph. He said, well, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. All right? That's why he was born of a woman to fulfill the prophecy, but also so that he would come unscathed, (laughs) that no human would affect him, that this would be God's doing. All right? God became man through his own doing. So, all of this false teaching, all of this concern, Paul had to insist that he's the image of the invisible God. In him, the fullness of the body, of the the Godhead dwelleth bodily. John combated the same heresy that these people were speaking. He said, he was a liar, is one that denies that Jesus is the Christ. Okay? Anyone that says Jesus really didn't come in the flesh or that he was just a teacher or he was a good man, okay? Let me tell you, in the Koran, Jesus is mentioned in there. He's called Isa al-Mashi. He's even called Jesus the Messiah. Can you imagine that? But yet they don't hold him up as God. (laughs) He's God. He's the, what? The fullness of the Godhead bodily. He's the one who came in the flesh. And he did everything he did for our sake. They attacked the humanity of Jesus Christ. They attacked his creative power. And that's where the false heresy comes in. A couple of special features about Colossae. All right? Or those that received the letter to the Colossians. This was one of three cities. You notice when I went to the end of this letter, he mentioned three cities. He mentioned Hierapolis. He mentioned Colossae. And he mentioned Laodicea. Okay? Three cities, all in close proximity. They're approximately six miles away from each other. They all had uniqueness. Laodicea was the chief of all of those cities. But again, they were all close to each other, maybe about 100 miles away from Ephesus in Asia Minor, where Turkey is today. Okay, so that gives you an understanding of where this activity took place. What was so important about this church if, in fact, Paul never got there? Well... When he was at Ephesus, where he was there for three years, as he's preaching Jesus Christ in the synagogue, they threw him out. (laughs) 
They said, well, he is not the Messiah. He goes, well, yes, he is. Matter of fact, we're moving next store to the school of Tyrannus. And for three years, what happened? The scripture said in Acts chapter 19, verse 10, it says, all of Asia heard the word of God preached. They heard the gospel. All of Asia. So if Paul never went to Colossae, how did they hear it? Well, someone went to Paul. <laughs> heard the message there. Went back. Epaphras. Carried the gospel back. They started churches there. They met in people's houses. How does the gospel get spread? Through us. Amen. We speak the word of God. We tell them about Jesus Christ. They believe that that's what they need to do to receive salvation. And then you tell other people. That's what he does. Because he gives us his Holy Spirit to tell other people about this truth or this saving knowledge. That's why we shouldn't shrink back. We shouldn't be quiet. He's given to us this ministry of reconciliation. He's made us ambassadors. We need to roll out the script and say, Hear ye, hear ye. <laughs> so, what does the head of the church have to say about all of this? The letter to the Ephesians is uh, actually talked about by most commentators as the um, greatest epistle about the body of Christ. Well, Colossians is the epistle about the head of that body. Paul wanted them to know, because they had to refute this false teaching, who was the head of the church. So, what did the head of the church have to say? What he did say is recorded in the book of Revelation, chapter 3, to the church of Laodicea. 30 years later. Okay? 30 years. Long time or short time? Hey, how long have we been believers? Over 30 years. We've seen a lot in that short period of time. What could happen in that period of time? Well, this is what could happen. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 3 for a moment. And let's see what happens when the head of the church has something to say about his church. The book of Revelation, written by the Apostle John, John the Revelator, given to him on the Lord's Day as he was on the island of Patmos. Verse 14, chapter 3. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see as many as I love I rebuke and chasten therefore be zealous and repent behold I stand at the door and knock 
If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him, and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Thirty years after Colossae received their letter, which Paul said, make sure you read this epistle to the church of the Laodiceans and read it from Laodicea. We have this Jesus talking to them in very, very strict tone and terms. Laodicea, the church that became useless. Useless. And you know what? Unfortunately, people take this and they, there's a picture painted of Jesus knocking at the door and people use that as an evangelistic thing, which means that he's there, if he knocks at the door, you open it up and then you can get saved. Well, this is not the case. Jesus is knocking at the door of his church. Amen. They locked him out. They threw him out of his own church. He's the head. He's got to knock at the door. But the key issue isn't that it's over and that he was locked out. The key issue is that he stood in their midst and he actually wrote them a letter. Does that tell you about grace? It tells you about how he is. He just doesn't discard them and say, that's my church. Look at the way they've been acting for 30 years. You're gone. Over. Puff. Which he could do. He didn't. He came to them. He said, be zealous and repent. Those are hard words. As a matter of fact, he didn't say one good thing about them at all. All the others, there were seven churches that he talked about, at least even in Sardis, which he said was a dead church. He said to them, listen, there's some of you who walk around with white garments. Okay? But to this church of Laodicea, nothing good. Matter of fact, he didn't even mention Satan. How's that? You know what? This was their own sin. They couldn't even blame Satan for this. This was themselves that they brought it upon. So, what's going on here in this church? Christ comes now, not actually as their advocate, but he gives them an indictment. And he even anticipates what their response might be. Who do you think you are? (laughs) We're rich. We have everything we need. Matter of fact, the reason why Christ uses this analogy is because this city was rich. In 60 AD, there was an earthquake, devastated the place. The people in Laodicea didn't even take help from Rome. You know, like when Katrina hit and everybody went and helped New Orleans, right? It's not the case here. They said, no, 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 we don't need your help. We're fine. And they did, and they rebuilt their city with their own money. The reason for that is because there was a university right there. Because they had prominent doctors. Because they made salve. They had this thing called Phrygia. You know, Phrygia, you see that in the scriptures where he talks about Paul passed through Phrygia. Well, Phrygia was a place, it was called Phrygia powder. It was the stuff that was made so that it would be medicinally well or healing for the people. They also had a great amount of wealth because it was a place where people traveled and they traded to. All right, Laodicea. So as a result of that, that seeps into the church. (laughs) 
and made them the same way as the world. And you couldn't tell the difference. And when Christ came to them and said, by the way, what you need is you need to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that may be clothed. They manufactured clothing there that went throughout all of Asia, went throughout all of Europe, and they got wealthy as a result of that. But Jesus said, you know what? Those are like filthy rags. He says, don't you know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked? And they're saying, how could that be? We're rich. We have all of this wonderful clothing. We have all of this eye salve. We have all of this prominence that people tell us who we are. Listen, church, don't let the community tell you who you are. Okay? You even as a church shouldn't say who you are other than giving Jesus Christ all his glory and honor. Okay? We're this great church. We meet on the corner of Roberts Avenue and North Broadway. And boy, what a wonderful gathering of believers. And that's fine. But you know what? They need to come in here and see Jesus Christ and Him crucified. You need to understand that that's the message of the cross. It's foolishness to those who are perishing. But that's what we're supposed to preach. What happens is, is the church gets caught up with everything else. Everything. But you know what? It even becomes like what was described in the last days. It becomes a form of godliness, denying the power thereof. And you don't want that to happen. But if it does, yet we have the word of the Lord as a stiff rebuke to say, repent. (laughs) Be zealous. Turn the other way. Realize before it's too late, before I vomit you out of my mouth. That's pretty strong. You know, you think about it and you say, what's that all about? Well, there's a couple of renderings of that. What we've been told over the years is that there was a stream that ran through that particular territory. If you were thirsty, you kneel down, you go to drink it, and oh, it's warm. That ain't refreshing. (laughs) Well, what's really the case, in both of those cities, in Colossae, there was cold water, (laughs) which was good for refreshing. And in Hierapolis, there was hot springs where people would be to go to like the fountain of youth or for medicinal purposes. And he says, you're neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were either one. But you're lukewarm. Lukewarm. Neither hot nor cold. You know, he comes to them and says, listen, these things I say to you, I'm the amen. When you say amen to something, why do you say that? Amen. You agree. You're the final word. As a matter of fact, that's the truth. And that's what he's saying. Amen. He's the truth of God. The God of truth, as Isaiah calls him. Because of Christ, there's an amen to the promises of God. Christ is the amen because he's the ultimate authentication of truth. He is the truth. We talked about that. Jesus is the last word on truth because he is the truth. Final word. So, amen. Next, he's a faithful and true witness. These words also describe Christ because he's true in that his witness is inerrant. No error. (laughs) He's faithful because his words are infallibly trustworthy. The embodiment of truth. Christ is the perfect eyewitness and the repository of truth. Thirdly, he's the ruler of the beginning of God's creation. All things came into being through him. And without him, nothing came to exist, as we talked about before. So, lukewarmness 
has no value whatsoever. <laughs> Matter of fact, my wife and I were having breakfast at the hotel this morning. She had to send her oatmeal back. She said, oh, it's lukewarm. <laughs> Put it in the microwave and zap it one more time. But lukewarm, what does that do for you? You have a name that you're alive, but you're dead, he said to Sardis. But even worse, to the Laodicean church, they prove to be wretched and pitiful by God's own standard. Wretched. Remember that word once before? Paul the Apostle said, oh, wretched man that I am. Why did he use that? He says, who will free me? He was chained to a corpse, dragging that dead body around. Who will free me? Who shall deliver me from this body of death? He says they were pitiable to this church. That's a most distressing plight. Matter of fact, uh, Paul writes in Corinthians, he said that those of us who only have hope for Christ in this life, if that's it, then we are people to be most pitied. But it's not just about this life. It's about eternal life. And that's what he's come to give us. He says, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. For God so loved the world that what? That he came, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe on him would not perish but have everlasting eternal life. So, whether we live an entire lifetime and even if we live that lifetime, say it is 80 years, 100 years, what happens after that? Well, can believers in a church appear to be like unbelievers? That's what the church of Laodicea had become. If you looked at it, you wondered, you said, is that really a true church? Well, it was. Because Christ stood in their midst. He stood and he talked to the angel of the church. You know, the full weight of responsibility was on their shoulders. Can a church that's lost its usefulness to Christ ever regain it again? Yes, they can. Absolutely they can. There's always hope. There's always an opportunity for the individual. You know what? God says that he's married to the backslider. Israel committed spiritual adultery with their God. And yet God, in his covenant relationship with them, loved them. And gave them the Messiah. And until the fullness of the Gentiles come in, he's saving all of those who would believe on him. And then he will reveal himself to Israel as a Messiah. What a time that will be. But until such a time, we need to go out because the harvest truly is ripe, but the laborers are few. We need to pray to the Lord of the harvest. Send forth laborers out into the harvest. Help us to preach this gospel, O oh God. Future spiritual blessings can only be obtained by the price of repentance. That's a tough word today. You tell people repent, they look at you strange. It's not even a word that's typically used. But the church needs to use it. It's used so often that, as a matter of fact, a lot of people run away from it because it is hard. But Paul told Timothy that that's what he was supposed to do. Preach the word. Rebuke, exhort, encourage. You know, rebuke's a tough word. Correct those. But when you're preaching the gospel, we need to tell people to repent and believe in Jesus Christ. Repent means stop doing what you're doing. Realize that you're sinning against God. That the embodiment of who we are anyway is just sinful. And that we need Christ to come in and cleanse us from all of our sin. That's what it is. Because He did that. He took all of my sins and your sins upon Himself. Easter, Christmas, 
those are not just religious celebrations. Those are reenactments, us memorializing. That's why he says, do this in remembrance of me when we have the Lord's Supper. Because what do we do? We remember his death until he comes. We celebrate the Lord's Supper. (laughs) And that's why when he knocks on the door, he says, whoever opens it up will come and do what? Sup with him. Which means to have dinner. And when you have dinner with somebody, you have fellowship with them. (laughs) If we say that we walk in the light, what do we do? We have fellowship with him. If we sin, what do we do? We don't walk in the light. We need fellowship. We need restoration. We need to repent of our sins so that Laodicea doesn't come. That spirit doesn't come into your church or my church. You're the church. It's not just this building you go to. You're the individual saints, called out ones, separated, holy unto God. But there's this tendency, because we live in the world, that the influence that it has, we could become just like the Laodiceans. It becomes spiritual complacency and spiritual pride. And I can tell you firsthand that that's exactly what happened to me. Matter of fact, it came to a head this particular week where I've had to forego some stuff as a result of my complacency or spiritual ridiculousness or whatever you call it. But I have been prideful even in my walk with God, trusting in myself, whether my own abilities or my capabilities or whatever it may be. Calling myself that I'm a believer. But you know what? I actually threw Christ out, in essence. That's what he did. That's what this church did. That's probably what I did. I just said, you know, yeah, you're there somewhere. (laughs) But what needs to happen is as he's knocking, as he brings it to our attention, answer the door. We need to say, oh, Christ, oh, dear God, forgive me. Lord, please, I want to have supper with you. And the reason that he uses that word is because they had three meals back then. Breakfast wasn't a big deal, neither was lunch. Supper was the main meal. (laughs) And that's the meal that he's called us to the end, the marriage supper of the Lamb, that all believers will sit at, but all non-believers will not, because their name is not written in the Lamb's book of life. Dear God, can you imagine if your name got blotted out of the Lamb's book of life? Think about that. That's scary. So what this admonition should do for us is we should not say, we're rich, we're not beggarly, we're not naked, we're clothed. We make this eye salve for everybody else. Well, make it for yourself. (laughs) Those that you provide medicinal stuff for, provide it for yourself. We need the healing. We need the spiritual cleansing of what this could produce for us. We need His Word once again. We need Christ graciously seeking to regain His presence and His prominence in the church. The church has gotten so often it wants to become seeker-friendly. It wants to become purpose-driven. It wants to become, oh, we need to talk to the culture. Wants to do surveys. Oh, George Barner says this is the way the church is going to be like. Reject all that stuff. They don't even preach the gospel. You have guys on TV like Joel Osteen who's afraid to talk about sin. Well, Larry, talking about Larry King, I don't really think I should do that. What do you mean? That's the gospel. (laughs) You can't talk about the good news unless you talk about sin. 
And listen, this is not a holier-than-now, finger-pointing kind of thing. If we read Paul's epistles, he says, hey, you know what? Here's the list of those people who don't make it into heaven. <laughs> All right? And the list is pretty long. Don't make it into the kingdom of God. He goes, but that's what some of you were. That's who some of you were. You once were darkness, but now you are children of light. It shouldn't take us too long, but it does in some cases because we're blinded. We've become friends with the world. And the scripture says friendship with the world is what? Enmity with God. And the carnal mind is enmity with God. So, should we be natural in our thinking or should we be spiritual in our thinking? (laughs) Spiritual. So, how do we renew that? Take this admonition from the church of Laodicea, what Christ was so concerned about, and he says, John, write this. <laughs> Speak to the angel of Laodicea. Tell those people. Let me tell you something. Colossae doesn't exist today. You can't find it anywhere. What happened to them? What happened to the church there? You can't even find archaeological bricks for that church. But Jesus took Laodicea, a church that went so far away from him, and stood there and said, I love you. (laughs) I love you. Repent. To Ephesus, he says, you've left your first love. Come back. Do the first things. Don't get so concerned in playing churchianity. (laughs) That's what we've done. We've formalized ourselves so much that we've become like a human organization. This is the church of the living God. And He speaks to us through His Word. How dare we not proclaim it? We need to proclaim His Word more than anything else. I close with this. This kind of church is very understood to be similar to the churches in the 21st century today. Those churches that focus more on religious trends and theories than on the truth are in trouble. Those that focus on being religiously neutral and accommodating than being committed to the fundamentals of the faith. Those that focus more on self-sufficiency than on God-dependency. Those that focus more on money than on scripture. Those that focus more on fashions than on holy living. Those that focus more on understanding the world than on understanding God. Focusing more on contemporary relevance than on spiritual repentance. And lastly, focusing more on the presence of civic and religious dignitaries than on the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something. It doesn't matter whether it's Obama or Hillary or John McCain. Okay? We're to pray for those even if they're foul in their leadership. Those are the ones the Lord raises up and the Lord puts down. Contrary to popular belief, they're getting their stupid delegates. Okay? They can get anybody they want around them to encourage people to vote for them and raise them up. But it's the Lord who will put them in. You know, the Lord had people like Nero in place. The Lord had people, it's hard to say, but Hitler in place. Not that he put them there and not that he filled them with that... Anger and hate is because the devil came and inspired these guys to hate the church. But the Lord works through all of that. All who want to live godly lives will suffer persecution. 
That just goes without saying. And listen, maybe a time is coming for the church to be persecuted. But you know what? When the early church was persecuted, they were scattered, and everywhere they went, they preached the Word of God. <laughs> you know what they did? They said, Jesus Christ is still Lord. <laughs> and He still is today. And He wants to tell us one more time, repent of your complacency, of your own spiritual pride, whatever it may be. Maybe it is gossip, and maybe that book is a timely time for this church that you just need to stop. Stop talking about other people. There's a song the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir sings. It's out of time for that kind of stuff. <laughs> it's, I'm concerned with myself. We need to put away these things. And you know what? Let's lift high the Lord and His banner. Because His banner over us is love. Amen. He is the lover of our souls. So, as he stood in the midst, as he had Paul the Apostle in jail, writing a letter of encouragement to them, and then 30 years later, with that church on the verge of being vomited out of Jesus' mouth, Jesus still saying, answer the door. I'm here. And I will sup with you. I desire to be with you. And that's what he does. He desires to be with us. He desires to continue to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, that's what we should do. John the Apostle says, I write these things to you so that you don't sin. But if you do sin, you have an advocate with the Father, the Lord Jesus, the Righteous One. So, if you sin, confess your sins because He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And as far as the East is from the West, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. Not your brother and sister's transgressions, although he's done that too. The key issue is, what about me? Where am I? I'm part of this church, God. Forgive me. Help me. I answer your call. I will be zealous and repent. Amen? Amen. Amen.